Well, hi there. I'm Peter Greenhouse, consultant in sexual health at uh, Bristol Sexual Health Centre and Western. Um, and I'm uh, talking to Chris Kahn about his very interesting paper that's online in STI just now uh, called Low Sperm Counts in Genitourinary Medicine Clinic Attendees Results from a Case Control Study. And he's got some very interesting suggestions that, in fact, uh, that people with the, low, the lowest sperm count seem to be people with asymptomatic nonspecific urethritis, which we now no longer actually diagnose. But these seem to have lower sperm counts than even men being investigated in general practice for problems of infertility. So I'm going to ask uh, Chris to, to say a few words about himself um, and then we'll start chatting about why on earth he did this in the first place. Thanks. Nice to hear you again, Peter. Oh. Yeah. I'm, uh, as you said, Dr. Chris Kahn. I'm consultant in genitourinary medicine at Addenbrooke's in Cambridge. Right. So, yes, uh, what possessed you, Chris? What gave you the idea in the first place? Because, I mean... Nobody has been has done this before, as far as I know. We've all been people have been worried about hearing about low sperm counts in the media and whatever, but nobody's actually chosen to to target this particular group. Why did you do it? Well, yes, you're right. Um, I, I suppose the only thing that had gone before was just a little bit of evidence suggesting that men with um, chlamydia have poorer quality semen than those without. But um, I guess we were testing this hypothesis. Women can become infertile as a result of either symptomatic or asymptomatic infections. Quite. I mean, in fact, we, the majority who have tubal factor infertility have, have had covert chlamydial infection, haven't right. they? Yep. And we know that men can become infertile from symptomatic epididymitis. Just from tubal, from tubal block, yes. Can they also become infertile as a result of asymptomatic infections? How much evidence was there around before that this might be happening? Or had nobody actually looked into it at all? Um, I think no one had looked into it from the NSU point of view. They, they'd looked into it a um, small amount in in vitro studies um, with chlamydia. And then there was a little bit, as I looked into this, um, about um, M. genitalium and ureoplasma ureoliticum um, damaging sperm. Now, you weren't actually able to test for the, either of those infections, but... Well, um, as it happens, yes, we were. Oh, right. But <laughs> that is the next paper. Oh, good. All right, well, so okay. we, won't, so we uh, won't go there. And I can't actually... Uh, I really actually have not um, analysed those results as yet. We looked at um, six different organisms by PCR on the swabs and in the semen. Right. Was this, there's also done the same test done on the general practice samples or were they not able no. to be tested quite so no, thoroughly? No, we, we don't have any microbiological tests on the GP. Um, well, that, that would have been fascinating, but another time perhaps. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yes, okay. So um, the thing is, a big problem in this is that you're actually using an old-fashioned technique, which is asymptomatic urethral swabbing which nowadays not a lot of people do and in fact sure. even, even my colleague in in bristol paddy horner who used to be yeah. the major advocate for this has now yeah. changed his mind sure so well, it's not a it's not a very practical way way of going about it but i suppose if you've actually having done the work and found that there's a problem it probably is worth pursuing what would your take on that be well uh, yeah i would say that actually the jury is still out on asymptomatic nsu i mean i think that studies actually cannot prove that it is non-pathogenic. All they can do is fail to prove that it is pathogenic. True. And so, you know, as um, 
Oh, wait a minute, I just to stop you there, one doesn't want to be creating disease in patients. Um, and I think my, my colleague's major concern, of course, is that if you try to identify disease that's not there and then bung a lot of antibiotics at people, you're just creating resistance problems. Well, I accept that that could be a valid concern. I would counter that, however, with saying that we're doing no good whatsoever to the population as a whole if we are actually failing to look for something that is pathogenic. And I would ask two questions of those who doubt its pathogenicity. Firstly, do they believe that symptomatic NSU is pathogenic? Right, we could argue the toss on that one. Yes, well, and, I and think the next the question. The answer is yes, yes, that people do believe that Fair symptomatic enough. NSU is pathogenic. So secondly... If the known causes of non-gonococcal urethritis, such as chlamydia and M. genitalium, can cause asymptomatic infection, mm -hmm. how can they be so sure that the unknown organisms causing symptomatic NSU can't also cause asymptomatic NSU? Right, that's almost like something out of Sir Humphrey from... Uh, from Yes, Prime Minister, but I take the point. It is very difficult to prove a negative in that sense, isn't it? But you, you, you want to pursue the, the, the argument and do some further research on it, obviously. Uh, well, yes, not only actually through um, looking at semen, but I do think that there are other questions that haven't yet been answered. About oh, let's get back. Let's yeah. get back to the semen, which is the main part of the study. Yeah. And I think uh, not, I'm not wishing to, to suggest that I'm any great statistician at all. Statistical relevance, which you may have proven or may not, according to the statisticians, does not always equal clinical relevance. And if you were to look at the actual the, four, the five different columns in your graph, you can see that although eyeballing the figures, the asymptomatic NSU cases do look a bit lower than the rest, the mean in that group uh, overlaps the 75% uh, cutoff at 75% uh, confidence interval in all of the other groups. So there's quite a substantial overlap between the groups, isn't there? Um, there is. That doesn't faze me. I mean, the, the fact is that what you are looking at is a population of patients, some of whom have low sperm counts. What counts in the statistics is what proportion of the patients have low sperm counts. Now, in the clinic attendees, 24% had low sperm counts. Of the G patients actually going suspecting that they were infertile to their GP had 16%. If we were able to have got a general test across the whole population, we'd probably be finding in the order of 5% have low sperm cancer. Well, quite. So you've identified a potentially high-risk population. Exactly. Now, the, the problem then is in terms of infertility investigations on the NHS, we tend to wait till people have tried to get uh, to get pregnant or cause pregnancies before mm. actually stepping in in advance and making and trying to get them worried beforehand. And yep. you could say, what's the point of trying to make this type of diagnosis in advance? Sure. Well, I or is think it just a purely research question. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, it, it clearly it leads on to another question, which is. Does treatment of NSU improve sperm counts? And? Now, we attempted to look at that. What we found that, in fact, out of 
the patients who came back for follow-up tests, which were the large majority of the um, patients with NSU. On the sperm counts, they, there were 12 who actually had low sperm counts. 11 of those improved, and 8 of those came up within the normal range. Now, that's very interesting. Has anyone ever shown that before? No, but it may not mean anything. Oh, you mean it may be within <laughs> statistical chance? Uh, well, no, I think the problem is it's this phenomenon of regression to the mean. It may have been that they, of their performance on the day was not was different. I mean, obviously, you probably haven't had a whole load of people producing you know ejaculation samples two or three times a week or however often it is to compare where, where one individual's variation from time to time. Is there a is there anything known about that that you might have just got them at a bad moment? Um, I don't know the answer. No. I mean, of course, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That uh, I, I guess that is actually the same thing as saying regression. Right. Well, it is. That's right. Someone it's, who happens to, you know, throw a dart and get a one, two, or three, however bad they are as a dart player, they're likely to score higher the next time. Yes, quite. So it is, it's difficult because to, to, to do the stats on that, actually, you haven't really got enough numbers. It's not powered for that. Now, I think the reason we don't know the answer is it could be regression to the mean. Yes. Now, can I just ask you a slightly wider question that if, for instance, this, this, uh, uh, the findings of your paper were very widely discussed in the Daily Mail, uh, as, they may, as they may well be, um, uh, where do you think it's going to go? Are, the, uh, are we going to, going to say that everybody who comes to a sexual health clinic should start having semen tests? Obviously, that's not the case, is it? No. I think that the way I would like to see it go is firstly a re-evaluation of the way we regard asymptomatic NSU. And there are doubters. There are people who say it's non-pathogenic. There are people who believe it is pathogenic. Chris, could I just cut you there? The, 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 there are also some people who would believe, as we find in women, that just because you don't have chlamydia in the NSU test that you've done doesn't mean to say that chlamydia wasn't there, isn't, isn't sort of further down the genital tract. I mean, we know in women, for instance, there's a lot of women yes. with, with upper genital tract biopsy-proven chlamydia in the few studies that have been done will have negative endocervical smears. Yes. So the same thing may be happening in the men. Uh, absolutely, and I think that we mustn't forget asymptomatic M genitalium that we don't test Quite. for. So those are both further arguments in terms of taking asymptomatic NSU back into the routine screen because we know that at least a proportion of it is pathogenic. That um, uh, Some of us may think that it could even be 100% with it was uh, pathogenic but no one can argue that it's zero percent but no that's true i think I'm, I'm sure that my my colleagues would agree with that um so once again where are we going with this is you've got your next study about to be published on the findings with m genitalium well can i ask just a matter of interest why did you bother with urea plasma urealyticum which most of us i suspect would consider is merely commensal well absolutely we were trying to keep an open mind and i do think that that is also a slightly controversial area at the moment, which I'd rather not go into. All right, well, hang on a minute. It is important because a lot of our Eastern European friends and people going to private practice in this country have yes. had, had urea plasma, urea screens. They come with a, with a note saying they've got this infection, please treat it, and, and we, yep. we're telling them they're wasting their time.
Yeah, well, I think there's conflicting evidence, and I, I, I wouldn't claim to know the answer. Chris, this is very interesting work, and I, I have to say I can't see my, myself or any of my colleagues suddenly rushing out and getting everybody to do sperm samples. But uh, perhaps I'd like to leave you the last word with you as to where is this going next? Well, firstly, I would say I totally agree with you. I don't think that it is appropriate to go out and, 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 and ask for sperm uh, counts. I think it, it is interesting to look at the microbiology, but... I suspect, as in NSU, we're dealing with organisms that have still um, to be discovered. The, uh, other than having um, raised a question mark about screening for asymptomatic NSU, it's also r raised a question mark in the field of reproductive medicine. And there's still this question to be answered, does treating patients with low sperm counts with antibiotics help. There's a difficulty here because we know that a number of antibiotics will actually damage sperm, at least, you know, uh, uh, in, in the short term. But there would ideally be um, a randomized control trial set up. I think it might be rather difficult to recruit. Well, uh, quite, yes. I can, but, I can see the practical difficulties there. But I think, actually, you, know, you make a very good point because this is an interesting area and there's unquestionably a major contribution of infection or a significant contribution of infection to male infertility that we just don't understand. Uh, and I think this is an important, uh, important part of the debate. Chris, many thanks indeed for taking part in this podcast. Thank you.